Good morning, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's my privilege to share God's word with us today, which comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Please give your full undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, I pray that you would help me to speak your word with utmost care and clarity. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make your word persuasive to those who are listening now and that these words would fall on good soil and bear much fruit to your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to this passage, there are two paths in life. And everyone is either on one path or the other. There is no third path. And the big question today is, which path are you on? And this morning, we're going to look at the differences between these two paths. And as we listen, uh, I want you to ask yourself, which path am I on? Which path do I belong to? The first difference is this. There are two widths, wide and narrow. The wide path it means the meta-narrative is self-made. What is a meta-narrative? It's the big story. It's the origin and ending of all things. It's the meaning and purpose of life. And the meta-narrative, it explains things such as who we are, where we came from, where we're going, what the point and purpose of life is, what's wrong with the world, and what is the solution. On the wide path, this meta-narrative is self-made or it's human-made. Maybe your meta-narrative is that we are all cosmic accidents, the products of billions of years of random gen genetic mutations. We live, we die, that's it. No afterlife, no regrets, no memory. Or maybe for you, your meta-narrative, it's just all about enjoying life as much as you can, getting as much pleasure out of life as possible. Or maybe for you, it's all about just falling in line. It's about hitting all of the cultural milestones, everything from getting your license to attending college to getting married to having kids to buying a house and then saving enough money to send your kids to college and then retire. Or maybe for you, your meta-narrative, it's all about legacy. It's about making a name for yourself or making some kind of lasting contribution to society before you die. Maybe for you, it's all about family. Life is all about your kids. It revolves around your kids. As long as they're okay, you're okay. And you feel like you've done your job in life if they grow up and they, they're successful. And you're content with that. The word wide here, when Jesus is speaking of the wide path, this word wide means spacious. It means anything goes. Whatever suits you, and whatever gives you a reason to get up in the morning, and those on the wide path, this meta-narrative is self-made. And there are also a couple of byproducts of these meta-narratives. Morality. Your meta-narrative will shape your morality and what you perceive to be right and wrong. On the wide path, your morality is also self-made. Definitions. You define everything from marriage to when life begins to sexuality, gender, etc. 
So in summary, if you're on the wide path, you are the author of three books, the storybook, the dictionary, and the rule book. This is contrasted with the narrow path. On the narrow path, the meta-narrative is God-made, not self-made. God is the author of the storybook, the dictionary, and the rule book. And because God alone is holy, perfect, and righteous, and omniscient, this means that there is an objective meta-narrative. There is an objective moral standard. There is an objective dictionary. And what is this objective meta-narrative of the narrow path? It is that there is a God who is infinite, self-existent, and eternal. He is omniscient, perfect, and righteous, and just, and good, and loving in all of his ways. And this God, he spoke the universe into being out of nothing. He created humankind distinct from all of the rest of creation in his image as moral beings, musical, social, creative beings, and soul-bearing creatures. He established a special relationship with them and defined what is right and what is wrong. That special relationship was fractured when Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result, they were cut off along with the rest of humanity from God, from that eternal blessedness and joy, unable to restore that relationship on their own. And this is what the Bible calls spiritual death. God did not leave them by his grace and mercy in that state of sin and judgment and spiritual death, he initiated a rescue plan that would unfold throughout the course of all of history and culminate in the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation from sin and judgment and God's wrath is exclusively by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. If we repent of our sins, acknowledge that we are sinners unable to save ourselves, knowing that God is holy, we deserve his wrath, but we rely and rest on Jesus Christ alone who has freely offered to us in the gospel. The gospel says that we will be saved and not only saved, but given a new heart and new desires, a new mind and a new purpose for living for the glory of God. This meta-narrative concludes with the return of Jesus Christ who will come and judge the living and the dead, and only those who have placed their faith in him will be ushered into heaven. All others will be sentenced to hell for eternity. I bet some of you were thinking, that's extremely narrow-minded. Or that a narrative like that will not fly in today's cultural and political climate. Maybe you're thinking, that's way too exclusive. That needs to be more inclusive. And maybe if you were more inclusive, there would be more people on that path, more people who would be interested. And I would say you're absolutely right. It is narrow. By design. However, the aim is not to turn people away. Trust me, we want as many people as possible on this narrow path because we know that it is the only way for sinners to be saved and to have a reconciled relationship with God and to have the truest blessedness and joy and happiness in life. But if that's the case, then why not widen the path to make it more palatable for more people? Let me illustrate it this way. In Zion Canyon, there's 
a, a hike called the Narrows, and it's the narrowest section in the Zion Canyon. And the canyon walls, they rise up thousands of feet. And the river, at some points, is just 20 or 30 feet wide. It's one of the most popular areas in Zion Park, and because of that, it can be one of the busiest and most crowded areas. In order to accommodate more people, what if the park announced that they're going to widen the narrows? They're going to use explosives on the canyon walls to widen the narrows so that more people can hike through it more comfortably. No, I think we would all disagree with that. Widening the narrows would ruin it. The way we get more people through the narrow path is not by widening it. Once you widen it, you actually ruin it. The beauty of the narrow path is that it's narrow. Tim Challies, a Christian blogger, he writes this. The Christian religion is at once the broadest and the narrowest in the world. It is a faith that admits every possible kind of person, but it admits them in only one way. If you're a believer, you know that you do not deserve to be on this path. But you also know that this path is the best thing that has ever happened to you in your life. Because before you met Jesus Christ, you were trying to write your own narrative. And after all the ink that was spilled, there is still an emptiness to your life. And you know now, if you're a believer, that there is nothing better than being on this narrow path and seeing how your story fits in with God's meta-narrative. If you've met Jesus, you've been accepted and adopted by God, you know that you've been forgiven and loved, and there's nothing better than that. Unfortunately, there are many who are still trying to write their own narrative, who are trying to find that, that perfect peace, that forgiveness, that joy, and that happiness apart from God's story, which is why there are still few people on the narrow path in comparison to the wide path. There are two groups, many and few. Jesus says that on the wide path, those who enter by it are many, and on the narrow, those who find it are few. And it's because they're trying to write their own meta-narrative, and they're unaware that there is a better, greater narrative for them to be part of and belong to. And at this point, I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that if you know others who are trying to find joy and happiness and peace apart from Christ, if you're a believer, you know they're not going to find it. We know they're not going to find it anywhere else. Would you share the story of the gospel and of Jesus Christ with them that they may find the truest and deepest joy and happiness? But another reason why the narrow path has fewer people than the wide path it's not just because of its exclusivity, but also because of its intensity. There are two intensities, easy and hard. Jesus says the, the wide path, the way is easy. The narrow path, the way is hard. On the wide path, the way is easy. It's easy because, as I mentioned before, it's spacious. Everyone can find what suits them on the wide path. If you don't like something, you just move over to the other side. If you don't like those people, you stay away. You can always sidestep and dodge difficult things. You're the boss of your life. You call all the shots, and you live however you want. I think about 
the exchange policy on Amazon, I'm sure you've all returned something, you can pretty much return anything that you've ever purchased. And on the drop-down menu, there's, you, you select the reason why, and you can say things like, no longer needed, or just not for me. And that's the easiest reason to give. I think I give that reason all the time, just not for me. And honestly, it doesn't even matter which reason that you select. Amazon never follows up and asks questions, never pushes backs or challenges your request. They're in the consumer business, and they want to retain as many consumers as possible, and you do that by not challenging them. The Bible is going to challenge your life big time. On the narrow path, the scriptures are going to push back. The Bible is not, Christianity is not, the gospel is not in the consumer business. The goal is not to retain as many people as possible. Yes, the Bible is full of encouragement and comfort, but it's also full of exhortation and uncomfortable teachings. It's going to call you to repent. It's going to challenge you to change. It's going to go toe-to-toe with your meta-narrative, and they're going to clash. This is why the narrow path is hard. The word for hard here, it means to compress. When grapes are compressed in the first step to make wine. This means that if you are a believer, you are on the narrow path. Which means that we should expect our lives to feel squeezed, pressured, or crushed at times. You're going to feel pressure from the government or from family or from friends or professors or from peers or society. You're going to feel pressure from work or at that school board meeting or in your small group. I think here in the West, we think that or we expect Christianity is only going to be difficult in countries where Christianity is persecuted. But that's not true. That's a misunderstanding. Let's be clear Christianity, it's not hard because of persecution. Christianity is hard because of obedience. And wherever you are, if you are obedient, even in the most Christian-friendly countries, you will find your life to be hard. Why did Jesus suffer so much? Because he was obedient. Jesus says in John 15 that a servant is not greater than the master. That if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you wherever you are. So you don't have to be in a persecuted country for life to be difficult as a Christian because wherever you are, forgiving others is hard. Loving your enemies is hard. Loving your wife, your husband, raising your children in the faith, that is hard. Bearing one another burdens is going to be hard. Confronting others in their sin is hard. Serving others is hard. Giving generously and sacrificially is hard. Sharing your faith in public spaces will be hard. Those are all hard wherever you are. One Christian blogger named Danny, he never gave his last name, but he says this, and I agree. I'm convinced that the single biggest thing that keeps Christians in the West from being open about their faith is the specter or fear of being reviled. And I think for many of us, the hardest thing about living on this path of obedience is the social cost of living your faith publicly and visibly for Jesus. 
the next difference between these two paths. There are two destinations. There's destruction and life. Jesus says that the wide path leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. And by destruction, he means eternity in hell. And by life, he means everlasting life in heaven. And it's important that we understand this. There is no wide path that leads to life. And I say that because I think some people have this see you later kind of Christianity. Meaning they, they think they can be saved by Jesus and then say, Jesus, I'll see you later in heaven. And until then, I'm going to live however I want. I'm not going to see much of you now. Many people want to live their lives on the wide path. I would say there are many in the church who want to live their lives on the wide path but end up at the narrow path's destination. In other words, they want salvation without discipleship. But brothers and sisters, friends, there's no such thing. In the narrow path, I think sometimes we think, oh, that's just for the hardcore Christians. The narrow path, that's just for the really serious Christians, but that's not for me. No, the narrow path is for all Christians. If you are a Christian, you are on the narrow path. If you're not a Christian, you're on the wide path. There is no, that's a false dichotomy between the serious Christians and the hardcore Christians and the kind of Christian I want to be. Now, I do want to say, of course, on the narrow path, there's absolutely room for new believers for backsliders, for sinners. We are all still sinners. We're all still being sanctified. We are all still a work in progress. But if your version of Christianity is all salvation without discipleship and obedience and hard things, then I think you need to rethink whether or not your version is the real deal. This leads us to the first practical question. Am I on the narrow path? And we can ask ourselves this, does being a Christian make my life harder in any way? We're not asking, or I'm not asking, if your life is difficult for any reason or other reasons. Everyone, Christian or not, by virtue of living in this fallen, broken world, our lives are going to be hard for so many reasons. There's death, disease, relational strain, financial strain, etc. Everyone is going to have a hard life in this life. But the question here is specific. Does being a Christian make your life any harder? It's the kind of hardship because you are living in obedience to Christ. Scott Saul's a pastor, he says this. If being opposed, criticized, or mistreated because of our message and works, is foreign to our experience as Christians, it is wise to ask ourselves who or what is truly shaping and discipling us. What grips us, and what do we hold out as hope to others? Is it a political party? Is it a cable news channel? Is it a desire for public stature and reputation? Is it a fear of rejection, loss of friendship, or a loss of job? Is it a friend group or an ideological echo chamber? Is it the shifting values, ethics, and dogma of the culture in which we live? Or are we being discipled in the, in the totality of our views by Scripture and Jesus Christ alone? If we identify as Christian, 
but experience little criticism or opposition for our faith, a gut check is likely in order. Are we going along to get along? Does being a Christian make your life harder in any way? If you are on the narrow path, it will be harder. Secondly, does the Bible have the final say in my life? This is another way we can tell whether or not we're on the narrow or wide path. Those on the narrow path, and it's important I say this as well, it's not that they obey the Bible perfectly. No one does and no one can. But they do view the Bible deep down in their hearts as having the final authority and say in their lives in all things. To put it another way, those on the narrow path, they are not perfect. But they do believe that every word of scripture is perfect. Something to consider is a growing group who identify themselves as spiritual but not religious Some maintain a loose connection of the faith they grew up with, but at the end, they value the freedom to define their own spirituality. This means that their spirituality may resemble Christianity in some ways, but it's more akin to a movie that's based on a true story. Often the director takes great creative liberties to make it more palatable or intriguing. In the same way, those who are spiritual but not religious They may base their spirituality on the Bible, but they take so many liberties to make it more palatable personally or socially. And the only reason why maybe they attend church or they like the Bible isn't because they believe it is the meta-narrative. It's because parts of it just happens to fit within their meta-narrative, and there's a big difference. And at the end of the day, for those people, the Bible does not have the final say or authority in their lives because they assume the role of the director. Next practical question. Is the narrow path miserable? And I wanted to ask and answer this because it sounds like it could be quite miserable. Why would I want to be on this path? It is not miserable. This is actually where you're going to find the greatest joy and happiness when your story fits within God's story when you know and walk with Jesus Christ every day. On the narrow path, there is nearness to Christ. There is a special kind of closeness that we have with Christ when our lives get harder because we are on the path of obedience and we're being faithful. This is what the Bible calls sharing in the suffering of Christ. And this isn't just experience any kind of suffering. I'm not saying any suffering brings you closer to Christ. You know, you get food poisoning, you get into a car accident. That's not the kind of suffering I'm talking about. I'm talking about suffering because you are obeying. And when you suffer because you are being faithful, there is a special nearness and intimacy that you will have with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul writes from prison in in his letter to the Philippians, And he says that he wants to share in Christ's death and share in his suffering so that he may know the power of his resurrection. Paul knows that it's through obedience that he's going to be closest to Christ and know the power of his resurrection and be most intimate with the gospel power. Even in our own lives, 
when there's a shared experience of suffering with others, we know that it brings people closer together. John Piper, he says this, the people who write most deeply and sweetly about the preciousness of Christ are people who have suffered with him deeply. Another reason why there is joy on this path is that the hardships of the narrow path are a genuine mark of our faith. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says that he bears on his body the marks of Jesus. What is, what is the context here? Paul is writing against those who are teaching that circumcision was the true sign that you were a believer. Paul argues against that. He argues that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. However, if there were such a thing as a mark of salvation, it would be the mark of Christ. And Paul says that he bears on his body the marks of Christ. What, it, what are they? Paul is pointing to the many scars and wounds and bruises that he has received, not because he slipped and fell or because of sports injuries, but because he was faithfully following Jesus. If we are faithfully following Christ on the narrow path, you will have marks. You will have scuffs and scars and bruises. And those marks may not be visible and physical the way that they were for Jesus or for the Apostle Paul, but they may be emotional. They may be the hurts and trauma from being rejected by family, ridiculed by friends. All true believers will carry marks because they are on the narrow path of obedience. And those marks, they assure us of our salvation, that we truly are changed and renewed in our hearts, that Jesus is making a difference in our lives. And to close with one last final practical question, how do we remain faithful on this narrow path? Because we all fail. We are all afraid at times to live out our faith. Peter denied Jesus three times. But there are things that we can do to encourage our commitment and faithfulness on this narrow path. The first is this, believers exhort one another. Hebrews 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. Why do we need to exhort one another? Because it's too hard to exhort ourselves. Nor in the Bible does it say exhort yourself. It always says exhort one another. In exhortation, it takes different forms. It can take the form of encouragement, rebuke, counsel, or correction. John Calvin, he says this, unless our faith is repeatedly encouraged, it lies dormant. Unless it is warmed, it grows cold. Unless it is aroused, it gets numb. We need biblical encouragement from other believers. And I say biblical encouragement because we do not need worldly or a pseudo-Christian kind of encouragement in order for us to stay on the wide path. You can find that, I mean, stay on the narrow path. You can find that on the, on the wide path. Practically, this means we can't encourage each other biblically and spiritually if we ourselves are not filled with the word. And I know we say a lot about how we need to be in the word ourselves for our own edification, and that's very true. But you need to be in the word for others 
which means husbands, your wives need you to read the Bible. Wives, your husbands need you to read your Bible. Parents, your children need you to be in the Word. Children, your parents need you to be in the Word as well. Small groups, your members need you to be in the Word. Pastors, elders, leaders, the people we serve and minister to, they need us to be in the Word so that we can exhort them as long as it is called today. And parents, instruct your children. We can't assume that our children in the next generation will walk on the narrow path. And if we don't teach our children, someone on the wide path will teach our children. Matt Chanley, he wrote a book on family discipleship. And what family discipleship is, it's when parents assume the responsibility of being the primary spiritual educators of their children. And he writes this. Family discipleship isn't a way to raise popular kids. Your son or daughter's faith will not impress the world. Your children will be hated because of who your God is and what he is like. We need to raise up a generation ready to be distinctly different from their peers, righteously abnormal. In a lot of ways, that's the opposite of our natural inclination in how to raise our children. Raising kids who are ready to be hated means raising kids who are unashamedly, who unashamedly love God even in the face of loathing and alienation. And he aims directly at parents and says this, family discipleship isn't a strategy to become an admired parent. Family discipleship shapes children into Christ's image, not the image of their mom or dad. This isn't about building your personal legacy or making junior versions of yourself. You're not crafting a child to fit a mold of perfection for human admiration and parental pride. Fight the temptation to lead in order to become an impressive mom or dad and instead impress on your kids their desperate need for a heavenly father. What will it look like for you and your family and our church to walk more faithfully on the narrow path? I encourage you, to take time today, this week. Think over that. Discuss with your spouse. Reflect on your personal life. Pray for his wisdom and guidance. Courage, boldness, strength, and grace to live out our faith on this narrow path. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to echo that. Would you give us the wisdom, the discernment, the courage and boldness and your grace and the help of the Holy Spirit to live out our faith faithfully on this narrow path of obedience. Father God, that we may be a salt and light to a world that has yet to hear the good, loving meta-narrative that is the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.